Okay, folks, I want to welcome you to the Metaphysical Mysteries podcast. And, uh, you know, obviously, we're the most interesting part of your day. And today, uh, Tom and I, uh, the hosts, we have a excellent, excellent guest, uh, Dr. Kathleen Talent, PhD, a clinical psychologist. She's going to analyze Tom and I by <laughs> today. Um <laughs> So this will be a very long podcast. <laughs> very long. Uh, pretty soon, I'm going to shift to the couch, and uh, it'll it'll be good. So um, anyway, Kathleen, we want to we want to welcome you to the podcast, and uh, just say hey, we're glad to have you. Thank you all. It's an honor to be here. Very good. Well, hey, you know, you know what we do. We talk about the the crazy stuff, and of course, because you're a shrink, uh, crazy is good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the lights paid, you know, the light bill on. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, we talk about everything from, uh, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, and and uh, crazy spiritual stuff, and demons, and angels, and healings, and, and uh, everything in between, and certainly this definitely falls within our range of, uh, of topics that we talk about. Tom and I both coming from a law enforcement background, and I know you mm -hmm. work with uh, first responders yourself in kind of a more nice. PTSD type scenarios, um, the aftermath of, of what they do. So um, why don't you just give a little introduction of yourself, where you come from, background, and why the hell you're here? <laughs> sure, I will. Um, so I have been very um, traditionally trained in psychology and um, research, a lot of research. I've st I studied schizophrenia and worked with a lot of people with, you know, psychotic disorders. So that's really my background coming in is I saw uh, or, you know, talked to people who experienced, you know, extreme psychotic episodes. And, you know, all of my training early, you know, was in that. So I had already heard a lot, you know, and seen a lot in that regard. And um, then I kind of moved into working more clinically with veterans and first responders, you know, people who have who've seen trauma. And um, then I think in the last um, decade or so, maybe a little more, especially since 2012, I would say, um, 2013 and on, um, my interest and even my personal experiences have kind of intersected with the work I do. And it's really quite challenging to have, um, you know, as a licensed psychologist, I have um, a certain swim lane and, you know, a focus and professionalism that, you know, I maintain in working with clients. And there's a certain protocol and um, you, you can deal with uh, sort of the in religion or spirituality to the extent that the client wants to, right? So what they bring in to a, to a session you can kind of work with that, um, but it's not appropriate, um, you know, ethically speaking, to just sort of go into other topics that they're not comfortable with. So, so it's an interesting balance to, and, and a lot of what I do as a psychologist is sort of observe what the um, client brings in, what their experiences are, and kind of where they want to take things. Sure. So from a from a traditionally trained position, I mean, you know what we talk about here, and I guess, uh, and Tom, you know, you do the same kind of work up there in Massachusetts. So um, is, is there, have you come across things where, uh, well, let's, let's talk about maybe your uh, peers for a minute and just mm -hmm. say, 
that they've come across things or you've heard of things they've come across that don't doesn't quite fit into the box that's been in the classroom and the academia uh, that they've been trained for and they're either lost or you know don't know where to send somebody yes yes i think that um depending on the, the professional that i've um, and some colleagues i've talked with there's different levels of comfort in um an interest even in dealing with the metaphysical some um, therapists, I'll say more generally, some of them don't even really acknowledge that or not, are not really interested in it. It's like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. They don't think about it. Um, and others are quite interested in it. And um, so I've talked with colleagues. And, and so a lot of times um, people don't realize that, you know, in the field, there are, there is a contingent, I would say, you know, a pretty sizable contingent of therapists who do appreciate um, that there are other things at play sometimes, that what we would call the unseen or the sixth sense, you know, beyond our normal senses. Uh, I would even argue that, you know, for therapists, we rely on our intuition, you know, and those kinds of things, that felt sense in a lot of the work we do, that sort of thing. So there have been um, things, many things that I've heard of and, and um, kind of sensed myself also. When you're working with people, you know, in, in such a close environment and getting to know them, I mean, you, you do recognize that there's many factors, the mind, body, and spirit that are all working together. There's not just one thing. Right. We talk about that a lot on the show that, you know, we have the, the three bodies, you know, the mm -hmm. spiritual up at the top and then the mental, emotional body and then the physical body and, and your regular MDs, you know, type people, uh, you know, they work on the third body, the, the physical body. And, uh, you know, for those that are working in the uh, metaphysical sense, uh, a little more esoteric, should I say, in some cases, uh, are working in that higher spiritual body, which affects the other two below it, uh, for sure. And, and of course, I know as a either psychologist or psychiatrist, you guys are going to be working in that emotional, mental, mental, the middle plane a little bit too. And that's kind of where you're at, which kind of makes you guys a little different than the rest of the, you know, allopathic medicine type people that are out there. Yes, yes. And I, I think there's a lot of trepidation and um, sometimes even fear uh, in talking about some of these topics because, oh, no, that's more taboo. We're not, you know, that's not what we talk about, that kind of thing. I think that being, when you think about things holistically, you know, that word, you know, holistic, mind, body, spirit, and kind of, that's where it can become more integrated and you can, op it opens it up to more, you know, spiritual kind of perspectives and you can integrate more of that, the higher level things. Mm-hmm. So um, let me throw something at you. I was on the phone the other day and I, of course, get these extremely, what people would call weird calls. So I've got some guys on the phone. They're chasing a demon through a house and they're running and screaming and, you know, doing their thing and they get it pinned in a bathroom. Now, more than one person can see this thing, and it's up against the wall in the bathroom. It is um, what they called an absolute demon, that kind of thing. Now, if somebody would come waltzing into your office, and uh -huh. say, this is what we just experienced last night, uh -huh. what would be the normal clinical response to something like that? Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, a couple thoughts come to mind. I, the, someone starting out their training, I'll tell you what 
the response would be to someone who, you know, is trained and kind of textbook, you know, looking at that, they, and, and not taking other things into account, they would um, pretty readily um, start to think that that was some kind of psychotic experience. Now, when you say that other people were seeing it at the same time, that for a trained clinician, that would definitely throw them off. But then they would still probably question, well, you know, they're telling me that. Is that really the case? You know, so. So, so, marked in there. Yeah. so, <laughs> so often, you know, these kinds of experiences, which um, maybe possibly things beyond our understanding could get pretty quickly labeled as delusion, delusional or, you know, hallucination of some kind. And so early on in my training, I definitely would have just been quick to, to more so label that kind of thing. Right. And I think for myself, I'll just speak for myself in terms of my own experiences, my own insights, and kind of broadening the way I look at things, taking everything into account. And I, I do personally, as a person, believe that there is, the unseen is real. Okay? And I've had my own experiences to kind of validate that. And I've talked with other people who also um, have experienced that as well. So um, we're, some of us are kind of in the same club or speak the same language as far as that goes. And so I wouldn't be so quick to make assumptions. You know, I would more so, or judge necessarily, I would listen. And um, we are trained, um, even the formal academic training, to recognize that a person's spirituality is important. It plays a role in, you know, how, uh, in their mental health, in their well-being. So I don't, I think it's a mistake to just automatically assume that as a professional, assume that those things aren't real. Uh, and, and you really have to find out some more information about it. Perhaps if they were there and saw a knife fly across the room, <laughs> right. which right. did happen in this particular case, and it was all on video. So um, <laughs> I think, you know, and I've often, Tom and I've talked about this because, you know, being a clinician and all that sort of thing, you know, wouldn't it be cool to walk into a, you know, freshman or sophomore level, you know, psychology class and, and they're all you know, majors heading that way and start to talk some of this, what we call smack, start to talk some of this and show some videos of some real stuff and then go take them somewhere where they're going to get the shit scared out of them. Um, and it's going to be really hard to plug that into a psychosis or, or something else. Mm -hmm. uh, I really think, and I'm starting to do some of that with police officers. Uh, so, because, you know, they don't get trained either, you know, they've yeah. run across the stuff and, uh, yeah. But I think there's a number of people, both in the uh, you know the primary response uh, area as well as secondary, which I would put the psychologists, psychiatrists, and so forth, that need to be exposed to this. Tom, you agree with me on that kind of thing? Absolutely. I mean, this is long overdue to just pe make people aware of this mm -hmm. stuff. They can make their own choices and decisions afterwards, mm -hmm. but at least get it out there that it's on the table as an option. I know yes. when I went through my clinical training, my style was a little out of the box, so to speak and I would drive my clinical preceptors crazy. I can't even imagine if I had brought this up as a topic. <laughs> I don't think I'd have a clinical license today. That's right, that's right. And, and you have to kind of, it's about balance and, and certainly things, um, and I think it's through experience and sort of appreciating that um, there are differences, you know, in terms of how others see the world and, and how we've experienced, you know, in our own experience. I mean, I will 
say that you know in uh, my field, I I think that we often deal with you know someone who's a therapist can often deal with things that are I would call um, darker forces at play um, and other forces too forces for good and forces for evil. I I happen to believe that there is uh, good in this world and there's evil in this world and probably some things in between. And we do um, see, we're immersed in that world, whether um, therapists recognize that or admit it or not. Okay. And, and we have to be um, professional in how we handle things. We have a professional role to fill, but also we can um, kind of test that out uh, and observe with our own, you know, intuitions and senses. And, and that, I think that can just guide us to do a better job. You know, I never try to um, impose any of my, you know, personal or spiritual beliefs on clients. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, but there have been things that have happened that, you know, that, that I've either heard about or witnessed myself that do go in that realm of kind of the more unexplained things that you have to chalk up to, to something else. There's, there's some kind of spiritual uh, force at play. I would imagine that's probably not on an insurance code. No, it's not. It's definitely not. Uh, and you won't see that documented anywhere. Necessarily. I don't think you will. No, but it does happen. Um, I'll give you an example. So a colleague of mine talked about um, a client who was uh, going through great difficulty and, and um, issues with, with the son. And um, they were quite tearful in a session and things like that. And all of a sudden, they, both the colleague uh, and the client felt sort of a presence in the room. You know, you can kind of feel that if there's that, you know, that there's something else there in the room. And the client felt uh, great peace and the sense of calm. And there was a light that appeared beside that client. And they even, the client looked up and even recognized that that was, and, and, and sensed that that was their guardian angel. And that's what they called it during the session. And, you know, they spoke to the therapist on that. And it was actually quite, it was very healing for that to happen. Now, is that something that's taught in school? No. Um, and that's something that just kind of spontaneously happened. But the therapist being able to um, just acknowledge that or be present with that, you know, is something that could be life-changing. Absolutely. Client. You know, I, I point to, for those that are psychologists or psychiatrists that are listening, that was one of, you know, wh where's the books on this? Well, mm -hmm. one I would refer them to is uh, Dr. Um, Michael Newton, um, in The Journey of Souls, that book. He's, um, mm -hmm. I think he's semi-retired PhD guy. And, you know, he did, a, I think it was 3,000 past life regressions and came up with volumes of data about, you know, lives between lives and reincarnation, as it were. And then also um, psychiatrist uh, Dr. Brian Weiss with his uh, books, Messages from the Masters, that kind of thing. Uh, and he stumbled across that. As I recall the story, he was talking with somebody who was in a hypnotic state um, and they had gave him information about his son who was deceased and, and gave him very particular information in fact that there's no way they would have possibly known uh, which that basically set him on a course of what is this 
scientifically. How do we figure it out? And, you know, he's written numerous books from, from the sources that he's got messages from. Mm -hmm. Those are fascinating from people that are in the clinical setting findings. Yes. I think that if you take that approach of being an observer and being present with the client, you know, and, and realizing that, you know, you don't know everything, right? You got to be open to um, what comes up, what comes in. Now, with that being said, too, you can hold a safe space. Uh, and that's what I mean about any kind of negativity. You know, if you sense that, um, because there are people, clients, things like that, that come in and there is, you can even feel the negativity there. and You, you don't want that. You know, and that's part of what your job is, is to kind of hold the space and keep it positive, keep it safe. But um, with that being said, you know, you, there, there's life-changing work that can be done by helping guide somebody. I mean, we're all on this journey together. So being able to help them, you know, come to some maybe potentially very um, important spiritual realizations or understandings. You got to be open to that, though. Right. Would you say it's generally true that um, a lot of the clinicians in, in the field don't necessarily have the, uh, I'll say, strong religious convictions? Or do you think, you know, think that's pretty normal? Yeah, I do. I think, I think it is. Uh, many, I would say just from my experience, the majority of clinicians, mm, they just don't want to go there. They're rather, they can be rather uncomfortable with it. For whatever reason, um, and I think that that's a just can be very often a disservice to clients. Yeah, well, the uh, uh, and Tom, jump in here whenever you want, but I guess I would say you know obviously pretty left brain people uh, get into the you know this this kind of work, um, but you're really dealing with a lot of right brain issues. It seems to me, uh, you know, a lot of emotional issues and stuff coming from the other side and you're trying to take a logical approach to it. And I understand that concept, but also to maybe embrace it within self mm-hmm. might be a pretty good, good learning experience. Yes. I think the more open that that therapist is, for example, you know, with their own, their selves, with their spirituality and being open you know, to the extent that someone will even mm, entertain that there is an unseen there, that there are things that we don't understand and maybe forces at play that are beyond, you know, what we see and what we experience with our five senses. Right. Absolutely. Part of that goes back, I think, to the clinical training that most people get mm-hmm. in these fields, that it's very regimented. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot yes. of clinicians are looking for the, the dedicated roadmap that gets me through this. Yes. And what we're talking about today is not even on a roadmap. No, not at all. It's off the roadmap. And, and what you find, you know, when you kind of delve off that roadmap, you know, can be pretty amazing. And, and I still think you can do that and explore that in a professional way. You just have to be client-centered and work with them first and foremost. So like the, the client you talked about, Terry, who, you know, had all these experiences, you know, don't chalk it up and say, oh, nonsense. I mean, well, he had the video, right? <laughs> so that said otherwise anyway. But um, even if he didn't, you know, you, you kind of know also, I think with enough clinical training, uh, you get, you kind of understand what the patterns look like. And some things aren't the norm. They aren't textbook, you know. It's that stuff where you have to throw out the textbook and, and kind of figure it out on your own. Right. You know, I get uh, called from all across the world for different things as you probably know. And uh, what I do get, and I, I've learned to, 
go through a discernment process very quickly because I usually do not have the time. They're not going to come into uh, my uh, office for a sit down like they would in a traditional sense. So within just moments of talking to people, I got to figure it out really quickly. Is this a psychological issue or is this a spiritual issue? Um, and so I really kind of take a very um, <laughs> rapid assessment approach to this. And, um, and what I found here recently with um, some people from overseas, as well as some of the states that I've worked with, uh, uh, they've got referred to me from, from people that just thought it was over their pay grade. And next thing you know, it's on Terry's desk. Um, <laughs> that happens a bunch. Um, and anyway, but I, I'm getting the kind of a split personality disorder that type situation, you know, the multiple uh, personalities coming out. Um, and once I start quizzing them a little bit, pretty heavily, and it's, it's a pretty rough thing to watch, but it's how I do it so I can get through it very, very quickly. Um, I find that, of course, they've had some major stressors in their life a couple of years back, and they've created this alter ego of some sort, and, um, and sometimes they've even done some crime, and um, they hide themselves with a, an attachment and create a whole personality for that, and they think it's an attachment, uh, like a demonic attachment, when in fact, I know the difference. And they're far from having a demonic attachment. That's when I send them right back to Kathleen's office. Right, right. It sounds like in that case, mm -hmm. it's what, um, it's almost like a fracturing of the self, like yeah. this um, compartmentalizing due to trauma, which is a really, you know, common response to, to trauma, severe right. trauma. But it's interesting how some people will attribute that to like a demonic force, um, you know, and, and so, yeah, the, it's, in other words, it's like easier for them <laughs> to say it's that <laughs> versus yeah. actually dealing with their own internal stuff. Sure. Because they don't have to take any responsibility for it. Right. And there is a group of people like that. That's, yeah, absolutely. Totally. Well, and I would tell clinicians if they ask me um, from, you know, because I'm usually having to make house calls or I can do it remotely over the phone for the most part. But um, so they, I do get asked that question. How how would we know? And I said, well, you know, oftentimes an entity is going to know things. There is no possible way that individual is going to know. So, you know, if they start telling you, hey, you're wearing red underwear today, there's no way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's no way. It's an entity, you know, obviously. And they're telling you, you know, when your mother's birthday was, that kind of thing. That's mm -hmm. a, little, a little freaky. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, let me give you the name of somebody you dated in high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, then we're not talking about somebody with a mental disorder. We're talking about a whole different animal that's attached to this dude in or dudette, and uh, we need to get rid of it. The, yeah, that's right. And, and so you have to look at the context. Are, I don't think most of them are ready to handle that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, no, I don't I think they are. One, I talked to one minister uh, person was who was a director, um, and when I say director, there are like over fifty other ministers, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I asked, I said, "So, what would happen if one of your people came across one of these situations?" And I mm -hmm. said, "I said, were you trained in any of that? I mean, when they go through their basic uh, schools for church and so forth." They said, "No, they're going to run for the woods, and they're going to call you." And that's what I got told. And, uh, and sure enough, they've had those things. And they really, you know, I know the Catholic Church, um, the Pope, he's authorized another, what was it, 200 uh, more exorcists, because they've had such an uptick in it. And they did a couple mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. So um, now whether people believe it's a psychological, psychosomatic, I don't know, whatever, blah, blah, you want to put on it. Mm -hmm. um, great. But 
in some cases, when you're starting to get poltergeist activity um, in a household, I have some challenges with that. And there's some energetics that go along with that that I have my own theories on that I would really like to prove someday. Um, and I don't know, Tommy, if you've got anything on that that you've dealt with, but in, in police work or clinically. Not so much um, the poltergeist type of thing. You know, when I think about metaphysical and the law enforcement and the clinical work, um, I find a lot of times it's the knowing sense when I'm working with someone. Um, Kathleen, you said you've worked with a lot of public safety people and veterans, which is yes. pretty much my specialty. Um, and along that line, what do you find when you work with those groups and you try to introduce this side of the house to the Yeah, group? well, it's challenging for most of them. I'll tell you one of the most challenging things that I personally faced when I worked with them is... Um, often because of what they've seen or what they've experienced, it challenges their faith or almost, you know, leads them to um, question the existence of God or whether there is a God. And if they're, if they think there is a God, they're mad at God. Okay. For what happened. So, so dealing with things at that level, and that's when um, you can, I can, personally try to work with that a little bit, but some, that is when I've called in, for example, there's a first responder I worked with who um, we called in a pastor, someone he really trusted a lot. And I actually met with the pastor um, and had some conversations and things like that and, you know, learned a lot. It was very interesting. And, um, but they, they helped guide him because they're in a dark place, you know, and they've seen dark things. So that's understandable. You know, they've seen the worst um, you know, of people's lives, the worst, you know, what they see first responders, for example, you know, see more in one shift than most people see in their lifetime. And so being able to handle that and, and cope with that, you know, it, it's, it can be a big burden on them. And, and I do think it can affect them spiritually. They call it moral injuries, too, you know, when they see something that, that's morally wrong, you know, all the different, you know, horrible things that they encounter. And it does leave them um, sometimes, you know, uh, feeling this sense of brokenness spiritually, if they even want to go there at all. Exactly. And what, for the listeners, what Kathleen's describing is what we know as crisis of faith. And so what happens is someone has an experience that challenges their belief system, their values, their rights and wrongs, if you will. And what I found, it's a polarization effect. They either go to this God, and I use that term loosely, whatever that means to you. If they were so good, this wouldn't have happened. I'm all done with this. And I've seen it go the other way where people overly rely on their religion to get through the next day. So, you know, using the traditional um, public safety Catholic, I would say, where they will show up for wakes, funerals, weddings, uh, you know, and a couple of times a month, maybe all of a sudden they need to go to mass six times a week to feel comforted. And so I've watched it go both ways. And a lot of times it's to try to manage that moral injury that you're describing. In the military, we used to call it psychological injury. But it's truly a moral injury, the challenge to I should have or I shouldn't have, what somebody else should have or shouldn't have. Very common in the combat theater where people are asked to do things that they don't have to see or witness back home. Yes. Yes. It's a a great against your norms. Mm -hmm. So very powerful when you deal with the folks around this. Yes. And when you think about things and that holistic and even, you know, energetically, okay, that if someone is holding on to something, you know, so, so thoughts are things, 
right? So those thoughts, those memories, they can hold on to them and kind of get stuck in them. And it can affect everything, right? It can affect, um, you know, when, when you think about their energetic balance, their alignment, things that a lot of times, you know, I'll intuit or think, you know, from my own personal spirituality, um, I can't help sometimes, but kind of see how, well, this person's out of alignment, but they don't see it, you know, and they, they oh, that stuff's, you know, a bunch of mumbo jumbo, uh, and they're not there yet. So you don't, uh, you know, you can't force that either, because that makes them, that would make them very uncomfortable and probably scary. Exactly. And what I find is most people today, um, I'm not sure your experience, but they don't identify themselves as religious, they identify as spiritual, right. however they interpret that. Right. Yes, they do. And um, one of the things that I personally, it, it's been um, kind of an interesting challenge for me, is that with my spirituality, uh, for example, I'm a Christian, okay? I follow Jesus Christ in my heart, and, you know, he's my Lord and Savior. And I, my, um, my sort of, I wouldn't, it's not religion. It, it is just, a, you know, in my heart, my knowing, and I, that's the place I come from as a person. Um, as I work with other people, either they, I find that they don't want to talk about God at all. They even deny, you know, whatever their God, you know, whoever, whatever their God is. Or, um, you know, they, they don't, they embrace their own unique spirituality. They're much more comfortable. So, so everybody's kind of having different conversations and maybe talking about their own version of what God is. And um, it's really hard sometimes to get on the same page. And for me, you know, I'm trained. I don't impose any of my own personal views. Now, when I work with someone who happens to be Christian, we can kind of speak the same language and I'm feeling like I can go there, but um, otherwise I don't. And so I think it's um, especially challenging when uh, someone just, is very in a very negative place um, all the way around and they don't believe in God and they don't have anything to hold on to and they're stuck and they keep repeating the same patterns and they don't have, and maybe all these things are happening in their life that if they had some relationship, you know, with God or some spirituality, you could say it could get them through some really tough times. That's some of the hardest time that I have is, you know, kind of seeing where they're at, if they, they have no hope sometimes when it comes to that, you know, and, and you can't force, you, you, nor should you force that on anybody either, right. but they really get stuck yeah, when I, that happens. I, I was going to say, I get, I get a lot of that in my wheelhouse, needless to say, people come in and they don't know what God is, who it is, what the universe is, what that, and, and I get a lot of that. So typically within a few minutes, we're, I've done it so much that we're able to settle them out on that, ask mm -hmm questions. I do a little thing called tactical imaging on them. And uh, they come to the conclusions pretty quick themselves uh, as to what's what. Um, but if if you were running across, well, and let me even say, I'm going to go just briefly kind of off topic for just a minute, but and say that, um, you know, uh, drug addicts is an example that end up with, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, talk to them, counselors, whatever the case may be. Um, their recidivism rate is very high uh, if they're not in a 
spiritual setting because they can use that as you kind of indicated to to really lean hard on and for whatever that works for them whatever version of that i mean there's 12 major religions of the world um and then other uh, quasi versions but uh as i've seen uh, knowing a lot of counselors in that range they're like it, seriously if there's no god involved um so to speak or higher power creator whatever you want to call it they're coming back they're going to go out and make the same mistakes but the ones that tend to have the greatest success tend to have that higher concept and power involved yes we call that a protective factor you know it's just something that buttresses them you know it supports them through anything you know through rough times and yeah i think you know and the research and you know in the field um bears that out that they will have you know continue to use or have have significant problems with you know if they don't have some it's it's such such a strong source of support when they do have that spirituality right absolutely so if you had somebody uh, let's say a fellow clinician and they were having somebody with some real challenges that really looked like it was more spiritual than psychological Mm -hmm. how would you go about maybe referencing somebody to them that might be really helpful what what approach would you take to you know mm-hmm. the right way so to speak right i would i would first start with where they are because um, people can have very different views on um let's say spirituality mm-hmm. you know and and some of them don't want to go there at all they actually i found that some people get even repelled by that i mean even the thought of it if you bring it up you know and and i have to ask it in a very kind of careful way sometimes like do you have a a religious faith you know or some kind of real standard kind of question because um i don't know i just see that a lot of people are um really not wanting to go there so but as part of my job that you do need to um i think you know to do a good job understand the and try to explore that with them some people don't want to go there so uh, I would start with that and asking them and just and kind of just seeing what where they go with that, if that's something that's important to them, because if it's not, I don't go there and it's not. So I wouldn't even make that kind of recommendation or begin to unless they, the client gave me indication that that was something that was important to them. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to respect that. Some people don't don't want to go there at all. Even if you feel like at some level they would benefit from something like that or, you know, a consult with someone, um, you know, or, or some sort of, you know, exorcism or whatever you might want to throw at them. Um, but you can't impose that. And that, that makes it hard too, because um, some people embrace that stuff and you see them maybe, you know, whatever spirituality, they embrace it and, you know, you see improvement. And other people, you see them stuck. Sure. Well, I know that, you know, and Tom does this a lot, and I'll let him take it after I get done with this statement, but they're using EFT, TFT, um, those kind of things. Well, they're doing tapping, uh, and, and they're, you know, resetting the, the flow there of energy. And, of course, Chinese medicine with uh, acupuncture and the like, mm-hmm. but used for centuries successfully in many cases. Um, yes. And so is that religion? Not really. No, I don't think so. It, but, but they could think that was chicken bone medicine too, mm-hmm. um, as Tom calls it. And uh, so anyway, I'll let you take that, Tom, see what you think with that. Yeah, that's been my history with that, using at least with the public safety and veteran population. They take a look at that stuff and they think it's a witchcraft or voodoo mm-hmm. or something. They have no clue what the heck just happened to them because they're not expecting such rapid results. Mm-hmm. 
That's and right. it's really just about balancing the body and letting it get back to what it wants to do. I always say it's above my pay grade. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> right. That's mess. right. Yeah. That's right. And some people are more open to that. So you could be, and who knows, we may be operating on multiple levels. We likely are when we do any of those interventions, but whatever, it's like speaking their language, wherever they're coming from, whatever their comfort zone is, that's kind of how you can integrate things in. And, you know, and if they don't want it, you know, it's off the table. But so that, that um, falls in line with your question, Terry, about you know, when do you bring somebody in and who do you bring in? Well, that would be a conversation with that person. You know, if, if the person, now I've worked with clients before who are very open to, you know, different types of metaphysical things. And so I don't necessarily encourage that. You know, like I just kind of listen and observe and work with them within my swim lane with that. But one example is I had a um, client before who described to me a very um, vivid awakening experience that they had where they were outside and um, the weather, it started to rain. And, you know, they described how they had kind of felt one at one with the universe and all these things. And I think that, I mean, I, I didn't write that off as being psychotic. You know, somebody else hearing that might have thought, you know, and made those kinds of calls. But I um, listened to, you know, with that within the whole context of what they were, you know, their life, and realized that this was a very significant spiritual growth experience for them, and tried to help them find meaning around it. So rather than, you know, sweeping it under the rug, and, you know, and writing it off, I think too often, um, for whatever reason, in uh, therapists, uh, and, and different people in the helping professions will tend to sweep those things under the rug more often than they should. Their own discomfort more than Mm -hmm. anything else. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think you hit a, a, a good thing for what's happening in the world today. You talked about public safety people experiencing more stress and trauma in one day than the general public might in a lifetime. Yes. And so, you know, I see a disconnect uh, with what's going on, uh, of course, in the police world right now. It's police are kind of the scapegoats. They're not, you know, it's a, it's a bigger problem than that. But I think these people are seeing things that are really, uh, when you end up, uh, you know, having to address taking somebody into custody, for example, it's ugly. It's not like TV. Um, and it's, it gets ugly and, and it gets ugly really quick. I would say, honestly, though, that because people aren't used to that, it probably means the police have been doing their jobs because it's not crawled up on their doorstep and they're not used to it. Um, So what a police officer might see that looks horrendous to an average bystander who just doesn't do that job, they're not sitting any time in the squad car at all, um, you know, is there's a disconnect there. And it's more like if all of a sudden a brain was opened up and, and we're seeing all the, all the gray matter in there, a neurosurgeon would go, you know, it's just daily stuff. And you're looking like, oh, this is gross. Or, you know, when they're going to replace a, a knee and they basically amputate the knee, it looks like a chicken bone thing hanging there and they're putting the stuff in and drilling. Ah, for an orthopedic surgeon, that's no big deal. Uh, but to the rest of us, we're throwing up in a bucket. You know, and I think if people if people kind of think of it that way, you know, like uh, even a firefighter, you know, you see this roaring flame and this, you know, uh, call it riding the dragon. You're going to go in and you're going to you're going to you're going to do what you got to do. And everybody else is going, are you crazy? That's the craziest stuff I've ever seen. 
they're simply not exposed to it. Therefore, there's no frame of reference other than their own, which going back to the police thing, they've probably been pretty uh, protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's really where police, I think, uh, education uh, and citizens police academies and different things like that would help uh, bridge that gap there that's obviously stirred up tremendous emotion mm-hmm. uh, around mm-hmm. around the country right now and I see a lot of uh, mental health professionals energetic people ministers you know police fire trying to help both ends of that stick yes so you don't think social workers should go go uh, take those calls huh well you know all I say is, yeah, there's not very many jobs in the world where you uh, put on a bulletproof vest hook up no. a 40 cal glock and you got an ar-15 and you got a 12-gauge shotgun see you honey i'm going to work right. you know how many people do that you either got the military or the popo and that's it and right. um, that's right the, the social worker um I think there's a place for the social worker, but emergency response, mm-hmm. I don't want to see a six inch blade go in their rib cage, no. you know, because that's what we're dealing with. It's really, really ugly. And, it, and they're not exposed. To it. And the most of them I've talked to are clinicians and said, Hey, you ready to hop in the squad car? They're like, are you crazy? Your mind who's making this stuff up? No. You know? That's right. Well, it's certainly not clinicians and it's not police. It's somebody else who really doesn't know, you know, the mechanics of all this. And, you know, people train in different, you know, life uh, jobs, you know, going to the police academy and, you know, four years of college and maybe military background to eventually become a police officer. Then you're field trained for another six months and, and then you're a rookie for, you know, the rest of the year and you got to meet all these standards and you're trained like, you know, all the time, constantly training. It would be no different than somebody coming in and trying to be a psychologist by, you know, taking the first year freshman course and say, Oh, I can hang a shingle. I can do this. Not a big deal. Watching a little bit of uh, TV with uh, right. The TV psychologist. TV psychologist. <laughs> I just whipped out in half an hour. And so any, any, I think any profession of any grade um, would take offense to somebody saying, oh, I can be a psychologist. That's mm-hmm. not a big deal. Hell, who can't do that? You're just talking to people and trying to give them good advice. Well, that's far from it. But right. if that's all you know, then that's, you know, I don't, I'm not blaming them for not understanding it. I just, I think we need to have a realization. Uh, and, and for the uh, first responders, we're talking about their stress. Mm-hmm. They also have to realize that these folks don't do what you do. You guys are heroes. I mean, you're walking, talking, warrior class people who go do the most dangerous stuff in the world. Don't think a thing about it because you've been properly initiated into it, trained for it. You know, you're almost dulled down to where it's no big deal. And but when people don't understand that, it's, I think, very frustrating. And I get a lot of them, too. And police officers that have been shot at, nobody understands that, what it's like. And, and they're leaving their jobs. And so both of you guys are, I'm sure, getting that as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the way, one of the things that I'm interested in, in particular, is um, just how that affects people mentally. And really, you know, it's about the mind and being able to be, kind of um, take control or take charge of your thoughts. Because when you think about um, even things energetically, and, you know, positivity, negativity, uh, it's real easy for those negative thoughts to creep in and take over. And that spirals someone, you know, real quick in a negative direction. Or maybe they've been in, pa- had patterns in their life 
um, pattern has been, you know, kind of solidified uh, where they're really in a negative place. And um, so being able to help them understand the, um, and really harness the power of their mind, you know, um, biblically speaking, that would be called renewing your mind. You know, you can look at that in different ways. Um, and then mindfulness meditation and things, that's a big um, kind of area that's being um, introduced more to people with trauma. And, you know, and that for some people that can be pretty scary and they don't have quite, um, you know, the tools that they need or understand what it is, but really it's about being present in the moment, you know, and accepting what's coming. And there's a lot of healing that can take place with that. And, and there's also to me, a connection with spirituality, if someone so chooses, because just allowing and accepting what is and kind of, you know, giving that up to a higher power, um, you know, if someone, if that's important to them, um, then, then they, it's almost like they stop feeling responsible and, you know, feeling like they have to control everything, but instead they could give it up to God and God can control it. I think that's why uh, in the, in addictions, for example, that can be so powerful. Someone, um, you know, who, you, in, you know, integrates that spirituality. Absolutely. So, you know, I always tell people, you know, you need to fill up from the inside first. You're not going to get your hit from the outside. I mean, that's never going to happen. If you're not settled and in peace, that doesn't mean you're not going to have points where you're going to have, you know, some kind of a anger flare up or, or uh, righteous indignation, should I say, um, mm -hmm. that you need to express. And I say, vent it out, get done with it and move on because you can't, it's much like a bird lighting in a tree is the, the anger thing and let it fly on. Don't let it make a nest there. Are you going to have an energetic problem? Yep, absolutely. And that's, that's huge. And uh, they're good with that. So mm -hmm. Tom, what else you got? You know, to that point, to just go a little further with that, what they don't realize is by allowing that to fester that way, they've mm -hmm. given the other person or the other situation the full control over them. Yes. Instead That's of right. just letting it go, it loses right. its power when you let it go. That's right. That's right. But it can be tough for people to come to that place because they just want to give you a beating first. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. But that's really the true freedom. So, you know, renewing that, your mind, letting go, um, that's where you gain the freedom. So it's kind of ironic that way. But that's what I see over and over. I keep yeah. it really simple with people. What's this going to mean to you in three to six months? And if you tell me nothing, then what are you hanging on to it for? Mm -hmm. If you tell me yeah. it's something, then fight for it. It's really simple. Yep. Absolutely. Try to boil it down to simplicity. Right. That's right. But, you know, I was working with a guy the other day, and there was, a, there was a sense that he was going to potentially commit suicide. And, uh, you know, it had run in the family and friends and, and that sort of thing. And he got exposed uh, to a really serious um, situation with a death uh, situation. And, uh, you know, it, it couldn't sleep and, 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 you know, things were showing up in his vision at night and uh, next to his bed in his bedroom. And, you know, I mean, just really bad. I mean, he, by the time I got a hold of him many, many hours without sleeping. And, you know, that messes your brain up to begin with. Um, but of course, what I found was in Americans, and you guys can address this, but uh, 
it went all the way back to when he was a little kid and it oftentimes does because I'll jump them right back to when they're about because I'm a you know master hypnotherapist and that kind of thing so I tend to go that way very quickly um, and I jump back to when he's five years old and and there's things going on in his family that he started to believe that were false he incorporated them into the truth his truth um, and once we took that out and he was perfectly fine um, and so I think in America we are terrible about preparing our children for death uh, as compared to places in the Eastern culture where it's just, you know, that's just a part of life. It's death. But here, I mean, you're, you're used to have grandma would be when she died, she'd be in the upstairs bedroom sitting there, you know, we're not sitting there, but you know, laid out and people would come and visit, you know, and bring food and whatnot, whatnot. Now it's sterilized, you know, they're taken immediately to the hospital or to the morgue or to the funeral home. And then they're three days later, you're doing all the services. And so we're completely separated. And so little kids aren't allowed to go because they're going to get scared seeing grandma laying there. And then when they become adults, they've never been attuned to this stuff. They're not ready for it. And they're like freaking out, you know, like there is no God, there is no this, there is no that. And, and I'm just, you know, going to kill myself. I asked one yes. guy, it was funny as heck, he was a funny guy. He was a, he was a uh, you know, a laborer, he, a hands-on guy, really, and it was successful and everything. And he goes, well, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And then he finally goes, and then I'm going to jump off a bridge. And I said, well, great, and what are you going to do next? He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, after you jump off the bridge, I said, then what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I, I guess I hadn't thought about that. I said, well, is that a good move or a bad move? And he goes, well, I guess thinking of it that way, it's probably a bad move because I said, well, you're still going to have to deal with your junk. You're going to be dead, more than likely, um, but you're still going to have to deal with your junk. And mm -hmm. really? And I said, well, yeah, you don't get off the hook that easy. And he's, he's like, okay, I guess I don't want to do that. And I said, yeah, it's a lot easier to do when you're walking around in some skin and bones. <laughs> To pay, right. do it than <laughs> walking around in, a, in an astral body you know that kind of thing so anyway I don't know if you guys have run across this this lack of understanding about death that's just been huge mm -hmm. I've just got tons of that through the years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. disconnection and in general and another thing I notice now with um, all this COVID you know that's hit and everything people are dealing with there's uh, in general um, a lot of people a sense of dread, fear, impending doom, you know, um, really stressed out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and when somebody doesn't have, it, it doesn't even acknowledge maybe that the unseen could be there uh, and um, that they don't have, you know, spirituality of any kind. It, it's really tough. It's tough to, because, you know, if the world is, you know, things aren't looking so good, then, you know, that's, they become hopeless. It's, it, it you know, it's pretty easy to see how that happens. Yeah, and I, I really think a lot of the media is almost what I would call, um, if I get biblical now, um, the Leviathan spirit. Uh, Leviathans were thought of as, it's like a worldwide spirit, basically, but you think of them as a crocodiles the ancient egyptians did and you know what do, what do those do what do crocodiles alligators do they they come up behind you they snap on you then they roll and they spin and they separate different parts and pieces and then they devour at their leisure mm -hmm. um i think the american people are the victims mm -hmm. of uh, some kind of a leviathan spirit and it seems to be driven media driven right now so i think i often tell clients i say listen Listen to the morning news if you like. Listen to it in the evening if you like, but just 
really don't fill your day with it because it's negative hit after negative hit after negative hit. We are designed for that. You know, you need to see some pretty kittens and puppies playing, you know, and some pretty babies making funny joys. That's fun stuff. And, you know, that really makes a register. I mean, even if, just like you said, thoughts are things, mm -hmm. those are things getting thrown out there in the atmosphere yes. or absorbing them. And I'm getting people coming in and I had 10 people come in at one class and, and every single one of them had both a headache and a tummy ache. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, let's, and I didn't even tell them I was doing it, but I just went through another process. And five minutes later, I said, so how's everybody's headache and tummy ache? And they're like, it's gone. What happened? <laughs> you know, it's like that. And, but it was that energetic that's just like flowing through the atmosphere. And yes. we know that happens. I mean, we, we've talked, Tom and I have talked about it before in some other podcasts about, you know, the, the, the Japanese uh, professor that talked really bad to the um, uh, water crystals or water molecules and they, they got all ugly. Yes. Love to them and they got mm -hmm. really pretty. Um, yes. That's got to be happening with us. There's no question. We're far more complex than that. So yeah. you know we're picking more up. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing on that note, when um, people who know those things are happening to you and they don't even recognize it, but you might right. sense it and see it. So you, you kind of got to help them figure out some kind of way to, to help them through that. And also when you think holistically in the mind, body, spirit, um, the garbage that people are eating, the, you know, things in our atmosphere, all of that, you know, are, you know, in terms of the body, you know, we're, we, have to kind of purge and cleanse as much as we can to be able to, you know, have that positive energy to be able to have those thoughts in the direction that where we need, you know, need them to be. Otherwise we will spiral. So all that stuff is connected. You know, it's, it's everything that we ingest, everything that's around us. Um, all of those things, you can think about that in terms of vibration, energy. There is a um, sub group in psychology now, um, uh, called um, energy psychology. So there is some, you know, slow movement in that area that where they're recognizing these things, um, but not everybody's there yet. So Tom, she's telling me I am done with my hot dogs and Twinkies. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to live from this point on. But say the first thing that came to mind was the Jimmy Buffett song. Some people treat their bodies like a temple. He treats his like a tent. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes. you know, I, I guess I would, uh, I would say that, um, Kathleen, if you were just going to address a, a group of a hundred of your uh, peers um, and try to say, Hey, uh, this stuff I've run across and here's how I've successfully done it. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, you know, in a, in a one minute burst, how would you mm -hmm. uh, address these hundred peers and say, here, do you really need to take a look at this? Yeah, I think I would let them know that I would encourage them to have an open mind and to really um, almost approach things like a scientist. You know, we these the unseen, um, it, there is a possibility that it is real, even though you can't see it or sense it with your five senses. And um, you need to be open about that because there is a lot to be learned and pos potentially a lot to be gained from that. Um, and certainly it's all about helping the clients, helping them, you know, with their well, wellness and well-being. So, you know, if you had access to this information, um, wouldn't you want to use it if it could help somebody? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you didn't know what a psychologist did until you went to school, did you? That's right. You That's had to right. Learn it. 
and this is just learning another piece of the, of the of the greater world. That's right. And so integrating in um, for spirituality, if if someone uh, has a, a belief in God, if it's important to them, then that's something that needs to be addressed. I think it's a you're doing a disservice if you don't. Right, Tommy. Yeah, I think we're definitely starting to make the shift. We're starting to see it. You know, you talk about the energy psychologists and such, and mm-hmm. they're kind of creeping over. They're putting their toe in the water, so to speak, at this point. You know, APA is starting to look at it to say it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big step forward for them because I know they fought that for years, but there's a lot of peer-validated journals out there that are now showing mm-hmm. that this is truly something that they need to look at, and there is some value to it. Yes. So we're moving in the right direction. It's just taking slower than we would like. That's right. Keeping an open mind and listening and meeting people where they're at. That's the key, in my opinion. Absolutely. I always say people have the answers. Mm-hmm. It's our job yes. just to hold the mirror up and let them find them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, if they get themselves out of their own way, they'll usually find it. And some that's part of our job, just to let them step out of their own way. <laughs> that's you right. Know? And, uh, you know, I know I've got some clients even this evening that I've got to deal with. And, you know, that's that's part of it, uh, you know, and we'll be done quickly. And, you know, I, I don't have time. I really I'm so, you know, like I know you guys are busy, too. And mm-hmm. so if we can find the, the methods that work and are quick. And I saw that one study I was talking about you know, sit down, um, yeah, Freudian style psychoanalysis, you have to do hundreds of those things to get like 34% success rate. Then they talked about uh, exposure um, to whatever the problem was over, you know, exposing and re-exposing. And you had to do like 24 sessions to get somewhere in the 56%. The numbers is not exactly right, but somewhere like that. But then they even talked about hypnotherapy, though, with less than six tries, uh, gets you in the upper 90 percentile. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, hypnotherapy years ago was all voodoo. I mean, you couldn't do any of that, but it was a dirty little secret in the psychologist's office or the psychiatrist's office mm-hmm. that they did anyway. And, you know, call it, and then the preachers did it too. They call it deep prayer, whatever you want to call it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody's been doing it for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just now finally getting the data to, to back it up. And I yes. would much rather do two or three uh, hypnotic sessions and they find their own answers uh, than me sitting talking to somebody for 200 times. That's right. And when I mean, somebody has a spiritual transformation and sometimes that happens very spontaneously, right? But I, but I feel like that's something that, um, you know, there was a knock on the door and they answered it. Okay. That, that, that can happen to them. They just have to, you know, um, maybe with based on who they are or what, what they want in their life. And that spiritual transformation can happen instantaneously. You know, forget all the sessions and forget, you know, all of the years of therapy. Uh, I've seen transformations happen, you know, very, very quickly in the order of, you know, an instant. Yes, me too. And I know Tom has as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I think that about wraps up what all we wanted to talk about. Is anybody got any closing thoughts? We'll go around the room here. Tom, you got anything? I just want to say thanks for Kathleen for coming on and sharing her experiences and her insights. Um, I know having a clinical license, it can be dicey to start talking about this stuff. So to have the uh, strength and fortitude to come out here and publicly tell people where you are coming from, I think that's huge. It's going to be helpful to a lot, to clients and to other clinicians to maybe open that door to at least consider. Mm-hmm. There might be something else out there that we should take a look at. Yeah. Thank you. Kathleen, you got anything? 
Yeah. Well, I, I think um, one of the things that stands out to me today is how valuable it is for us to work together. You know, all our different specialties, we're all like in our own corners. But I think when you look at things holistically and how complex we are and how many dimensions that are going on and all that, um, that it's important for us to work together uh, and to serve. It's all about helping people, right? So uh, meeting them where they're at, a person, but being able to um, come together and, you know, there's an added benefit. There's strength in numbers with that. Absolutely. And I, again, I want to thank you for coming on. And I do say that networking is what it's all about. I know Kathleen, and I, we met years ago um, and in an in a environment that uh, allowed for networking. And that's how you get to know somebody, how you can trust them. If you, um, you know, are going to refer somebody, you really believe in this person and vice versa. And so you feel very comfortable. And I, I would just encourage uh clinicians to get into those conferences and those things that maybe it's a little on the edge for you and vice versa. People that are on the other one, try to lean into the other more clinical situation from time to time uh, because that's where you network with people and they find out, you know what, you're actually a human. You have some really cool skills uh, that I think, uh, you know, my clients in the future, uh, maybe currently uh, might benefit from. So, and that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, these are all mysteries of the world and, and here, uh, these are all things that are unseen. So metaphysical in nature, above physical, as they would say. And that's what the, uh, the metaphysical podcast is, uh, all about and, uh, trying to solve some of those mysteries. So, uh, for our, all our listeners and viewers, um, man, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen and uh, we will uh, be in contact with uh, some uh, new guests. Uh, and then one of them that's coming up is um, from the National Missing and Exploited Children's Network and how they use psychics to help solve cases, which now those are in the hundreds. Uh, and I think she's going to talk about how that's all done. So for those of you uh, that uh, can come back next time around, we appreciate that. And uh we will sign off for now for uh, Tom and I and Kathleen here at the Metaphysical Mysteries. Thanks so much and have, have a great day.